Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and true to her word, Back with me for the second week in a row is my co-host, Charlie. And Charlie is here to help me with what will be our last mailbag episode for a while. Probably for the next month or so. We've been doing these episodes on pretty much a weekly basis throughout the offseason. But I meant it when I told you guys last week that now that we are in July, we are turning our attention 100% towards previewing Charlie, the very rapidly approaching 2022 season. Do you yeah. feel it? Do you feel it around the corner? Yeah, a lot's happening lately, you know. I mean, just the entire basketball landscape is changing before yeah. our very eyes. Right, exactly. And also, every day when I get on Twitter, it's like the people that do the countdown thing. Yes. And it's like, I feel like it was 100 days ago, like yesterday, but it's not. But it's not. It's it, very close. What we see this time of year is the casual fans, all those casuals out there, they're now... Like paying attention to college football. We pay attention to college football year round, but now there's like the average fan out there. They're all talking about it. So we see it everywhere. So it's there. I feel it. I'm excited about it. Fall camp is just around the corner. So, yes, with all that in mind, we're going to be doing a ton of content previewing the coming season here over the next couple of weeks. But keep the questions coming, guys. Keep them coming. We are going to run a few more mailbag episodes before the season starts, at probably at least two, maybe three. We'll see a couple more at least. But we do have a lot of preview content in the pipeline for you guys. We've got the Scout and the Enemy series, which will be starting in about a week and a half. Well, I guess by the time this episode comes out, like it'll start later this week. But we've got that coming, top players, position battles, all that stuff that we do every year. So let's make the most of this one today, the last mailbag for a little while. But before we dive in, just a very quick reminder about our new national college sports podcast called Never Graduate, a college sports podcast. I know a ton of you have already checked it out, which is awesome. Thank you guys for that 100%. Thank you so much. But it would be even more awesome if even more of you would give it a shot. I mean, if you like this podcast which I hope you do if you're listening to it. But if you like this podcast, I guarantee that you're going to like Never Graduate. It really is. It's the same hardcore college football talk focused on the actual teams, the personnel, matchups, all the stuff that we talk about here. It's just applied to the college football landscape at large. We're talking about more teams. I know you love Georgia. I love Georgia. Charlie loves Georgia. But I also know you love college football. So do us a solid And do yourself a favor, check it out, subscribe, and add it to your podcast rotation. Also, follow us on social media. It's at NoGradPod and NeverGraduatePodcast on Instagram. It's at NoGradPod on Twitter, I should say that. And interact with us too. Like, retweet, comment. And if you really, really want to help us out, a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast, that would be absolutely incredible. Outside of listening, honestly, that's probably the biggest thing that you could do to help. So I hope you guys check it out. I think you will enjoy it. In fact, I know you will enjoy it. Just just give it a shot. But enough of that. Charlie, let's get started. Let's empty out this listener mailbag. What do you got for me? Well, before we start, I do want to say I like what you're doing with Never Graduate because it's like a soap opera podcast that delivers on all of the drama. A soap opera podcast? Yeah, everybody wants the drama. 
And that's part of what makes college football. But bad. you can't yeah. cover it on this podcast because this is Georgia and you Yeah. Go, I mean, like, I guess we could, but it's a Georgia try, podcast and I try to... Provide detailed yeah. content. Right. Which is great. Right. But everybody likes the drama of national college football. Yes. And there you can cover and that's it. that's the weird thing about it, Charlie. I'm glad you brought the, the drama aspect of this up. Like, how did you feel? I know this... We're recording this early... But by the time this episode posts, it's probably going to be old news. But how did you feel like when you first saw USC, UCLA to, big, to the Big Ten? Were you excited? Were you frustrated? Were you annoyed? Were you upset? Were you concerned? What, what emotions were you experiencing? I was really glad that I'm not a Big Ten fan because I don't want to travel that far. Right. And I'm really glad I'm not a UCLA or if, USC fan oh, yeah. because... If you're living in California or on the West Coast and you're a big noon kickoff game, <laughs> that's like you're you, playing, got, you have a lot to do before 9 a.m. You're playing at Iowa in Iowa City. That makes for yeah. a really long day and expensive travel budgets. But this podcast, the Never Graduate podcast, excuse me, it's like reality television that people love. Which I know that you love. By but, people, oh, you mean yourself. But sports. Right. So, Well, that's you know, part of what makes college football great. We should, like... Okay, I would be able to do this. Real Housewives. But, like, do the coaches. Like, Real the ha- major... Oh, so the coaches like, would be the, the housewives. Create a lineup hmm. with college coaches. But they're all over the country. Right. But you could do, like, pick... And choose like what the top a one coaching staff. To a create, coaching staff to create like the most interesting reality. Yeah, that's actually football you might show. A, you might have something going there off season. I mean, you would have you, you send them on vacation. You put them like you don't yeah. on some of those shows. They they all go out and go to somewhere. Some yeah, they grand do like trip. vacation getaway or something with like do. a mixed cast. That's what you gotta do. But like yeah, I can just see it in my head, and it would be, be fantastic. That would be to great. Watch. That would be great. I was, when this news hit, here's the thing, speaking about drama, when I first saw the news, like, I got this rush of adrenaline. It's like, whoa, dude, this is crazy. It's awesome. And I was kind of excited because of the drama aspect, because we all love drama. You're right. We all love drama, and I love that aspect. The more I thought about it, I'm like, oh, my God, what does this mean for the future of college football? And then you start to get a little bit more concerned about, you know, losing traditional rivalries, all those things that make college football college football, the fabric of the sport. But the drama... I mean, it sells, Charlie. That's part of the reason why we love this. And the, all this realignment stuff, people eat this up because it's dramatic. What's going to happen next? And, oh, my God, whoever saw this coming? No one saw this coming. So And people love drama when it's not in their own lives. So getting to watch yeah. it play out yeah. with college football, it's fantastic every week. You know something is coming. You just don't know what. One thing I want to throw at you here. Oh, I, no. thought, I thought about you the other day when this news hit. So with UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten... I, I wonder what impact that's going to have on their future non-conference scheduling. Oh, so right? we wouldn't have to go to UCLA? I would We're, be so are, happy to I not go I believe we are scheduled to go to UCLA. It's 2020. It's either 2024 or 2025 when we're going to UCLA. So by either, either year, either way, they will already be in the Big Ten. So will they have – I mean, what kind of schedule are they playing? Are they going to play – because we'll see who who else they potentially add. I don't know, but what does that do? Their non-conference scheduling. They're going to try to get out of the Georgia the Georgia game where we go over there. Because I I bring that up because I know that you are not excited about that. No, I am not. I don't want to go there at all. Yeah, I know that you're more adamantly opposed to that road trip than I am, but I'm kind of with you. I'm not excited about that. And I know a lot of fans in the Georgia fan base are, and I get it. Like I I like the idea that we're playing someone new and different. Like we have those games on our schedule, but I have no interest in going to the Rose Bowl. We did that back in 2017. For those of you who went to that game, you know it's a logistical nightmare to get to the Rose Bowl. There's absolutely nothing in Pasadena around it. Tailgating is not even an option. There's no bars. There's nothing. There's no vibe. It's just, there's nothing there. And I'm not an LA guy, so, and it's really expensive to get out there too, just for for a regular season game. I can justify it for, you know, the Rose Bowl and a playoff game. But man, I'm not super excited about that game. So honestly, if we replace that game with another game, that would also be like a power five opponent. That'd be great, but I don't know who we could get at this late state in the in the process. But yeah, I mean that could be a casualty of this, Charlie. And we don't know. Like there's so many moving parts, and we'll see what goes down in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months, next couple of years. But just keep that in your back pocket. You might not have to make that trip after all. Yeah, but anyways, shameless plug. Check out Never Graduate thank you, for thank you, more Charlie. college drama. Look at you. 
sports drama. Very nice of you. I appreciate yes. that. All right. Well, let's jump in with the mailbag questions. We have seven great questions this week. The first one comes from Spencer, and I'll answer this quickly with my own answer. But he wants to know, who do you think is Georgia's biggest challenger in the SEC East this year, and who will be the biggest challenger for East supremacy in the future? Um, I think it's one answer for, mm, well... Until everything gets realigned with the mm-hmm. SEC, mm-hmm. I say Tennessee. I'm 100% with you, Charlie. As for future yes. teams that we're yes. competing against yes. for the East well, title. Well, and you're right. And Spencer, I really appreciate the question. I just, I'll just throw this out there, though, Charlie. I mean, when we're talking about who will be the biggest challenger for East supremacy in the future, how much longer will there be an SEC East, Charlie? That's what I'm saying. Like two more years, maybe? That's what I'm saying. But when Texas and Oklahoma come in, there will not be an SEC East. So I guess, I mean, into the future, we've got another probably at least year or two before they come in there. But let's just say for the purpose of this question, let's just live in a fantasy world and pretend the East is still going to be around. I think you're right. Tennessee is the answer. Who else, who else would it be, Sure. I mean, it's not like the traditional answer you would think would be Florida, right? But I don't have a ton of faith in Florida right now. Billy Napier, I do think, will put them on more solid ground. Then Dan Mullen had them on because I do think he understands how to be the CEO of a program and to actually run a college football program. And he's not just insanely weird. I think he has that going for him, which I know is a very low baseline, but that's something. That's more than what they had with Dan Mullen. And Dan Mullen had a great year in 2020. We'll give him that. It's a COVID year, but still had a great year. Florida will be good-ish enough, but I, I think you're right, Charlie. I think Tennessee is the program with the momentum. And here's the other thing, Charlie. I think definitely this year. Take the first part of the question. This year, to me, it's definitely Tennessee. I think Kentucky is the other challenger there. I think Tennessee is going to be better than Kentucky. I think Tennessee has a better quarterback. He was certainly more productive last year. They are not quite as good defensively. They don't have the personnel. Honestly, well, the personnel is actually not all that different this year. Kentucky doesn't have great personnel defensively. They just have a really good scheme. They have a really good coach. But Tennessee, I mean, they're fine, but they're not going to be playing at the level of Kentucky defensively because they just don't have Mark Stoops, to be quite honest with you. But offensively, it's nine day. They're going to be a far more high-powered offense. They're going to put up a lot more points. They're going to be more efficient, more explosive. And that's important in today's age in college football. You've got to be able to score points. So to me, Tennessee is the clear answer. I think Tennessee will beat Kentucky this year. They play them in Knoxville. I do not see right now, and things can change, I don't see Kentucky going into Tennessee into Neyland Stadium and winning that football game. I think Tennessee has the potential to be a 9-3, and 10-2 and two type team. I don't know if that's what their final record will be. But, I mean, they do have that potential. They have to go to LSU. Obviously, they play Alabama. They play Georgia. So, probably 9-3-ish. and three-ish. They're, they're a team that's certainly growing and building, but they're not to the point where they, they don't have, like um, – a dud in them where they're going to get upset by a team they had no business losing to. This is a team that could potentially lose to South Carolina. They could potentially lose. I, mean, I guess they could lose to Kentucky. I don't see that happening. They could potentially lose to a Missouri if they just have a really bad game and Missouri plays up and all that stuff. But I can see Tennessee. I think the floor for Tennessee this year is probably 8-4. and four. I, I really feel that's where they're going to be. You know, I did the episode a couple weeks ago ranking the games on Georgia's schedule. I did have Kentucky as the most difficult game in the schedule, but that was by virtue of the fact that game is in Lexington late in the season at the tail end of our toughest stretch of the season. That was not really a reflection of a belief that I think that Kentucky is better than Tennessee. I think I said on the episode, I think Tennessee is probably the best team on our schedule, but where we play them situationally, especially being in Athens, I think that takes away some of the difficulty of that game. If we play Tennessee in Knoxville this year, Charlie, 100%, I would say that's the toughest game on the schedule. Fortunately for us, we do not play them in Knoxville. We play them in the friendly confines of Sanford Stadium. So, yeah, I'm with you 100% here. This year, it's got to be Tennessee. And if the SEC East was still around, I think Tennessee is carrying some momentum into the future. And here's the thing, Charlie, why I would take Tennessee over Florida, why I would take Tennessee over Kentucky, over Missouri, over South Carolina, moving into the future. Those fan ba- that fan base, Charlie. How do you feel about the Tennessee fan base in general? Um, defeated. They just feel defeated. But they feel defeated. I agree with you. Re- recently, happening because they've been down for so long. But they feel that way because they care so much. Right. Like, it means something to yeah. them. Yeah. Like if, that's 
what they have been experiencing, the way they've been acting, the vibes they've been putting off, the vibes I'd be putting off if we had been Tennessee for the past decade. Like if we'd been going through More that. like the past 20 years. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. Well, I guess since Phil Former left, yeah, so 15-ish years. I guess, God, I mean, time flies, time. man. Yeah, they were good in the 90s. I guess that was like 25 years. Oh, my yeah. God. Long time ago. Math. Long time ago, yeah. Oh, it's man, hard. I, just, I, I grew up in the 90s, so I feel the 90s weren't that long ago because I don't feel like I'm that old, but they were a long time That's ago. That's because we see the 90s every day. With the, the way people are, are dressing. Back. The 90s are coming back. Oh, they're, they're, the 90s, they're back. They're back. They're back. But that's a good thing. I love the 90s. But I think the thing about Tennessee moving to the future is their fan base cares. Their fan base cares about football far more than Florida fans care. Florida fans can't even fill their stadium. Let's, I mean, that's a joke fan base. Kentucky fans Kentucky fans are an underrated football fan base. They actually do care. They, care, they do obviously care more about basketball. But it's not a rabid fan base to the level of, of Tennessee. It's just not. But they care. They're more invested in their program. They're willing to spend more. They have boosters who care more. And I think that's a big deal. Like They got Nico Yamaliava, that five-star quarterback from California. How'd they get him? They paid him money. They have they have all these boosters that are pouring money in these collectives, and they're signing these NIL deals. And teams like Florida, I mean, I'm not saying they're not doing that. They're doing some of that. But they don't have the commitment within the fan base and the booster base to consistently out-recruit Tennessee moving in the future. I just think Tennessee is going to recruit better than Florida, than Kentucky, than Missouri, than South Carolina moving in the future. And you guys know, when you, if you listen to this podcast, how much I believe in recruiting and personnel. It's about players more than anything. And outside of Georgia, who will consistently have the best players in the SEC East, as long as Kirby Smart's here, I think Tennessee is next in line moving into the future. So this year and moving into the future, I think Tennessee would be, would be the biggest challenger, but the SEC East will not be around for much longer. All right. Our next question comes from longtime listener and friend of the podcast, Cliff. He says that in 2018, the dogs were coming off a national championship appearance, and this year they're coming off a national championship win. He wants to know if, if the 2022 team is set up to succeed more than the 2018 team. Will they accomplish more? Yeah, Cliff, this is a great question, buddy. I appreciate it, man. And Cliff, you and I discussed But this if way. they're accomplishing more, then we're winning the title again? Well, 2018, we did not even win the SEC. We got there and we what lost. What am I thinking of? 2018. Oh, 2017. He's Sorry. Saying, he says coming off 2017. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So, yeah, Cliff and I discussed this a little bit on, on social media. Had a good conversation. And I was just, I'll just kind of reiterate what I said to Cliff on there. I think the answer is a 2022 team. And you can call that recency bias if you want. But remember back in 2017, I guess it was actually, was it January 9th? 2018, uh, the day after we lost to Alabama in the national championship game. And I can say that now, Charlie, and not have a little bit of my soul die because we've now won a national championship. I can now like say that and, and, and not start crying. I'm glad you're not in tears. I mean, it, there was, it was a while, Charlie. But, but I mean, if it wasn't a national championship, I still couldn't think about it. But I told you guys, I came here on this podcast. I think I tweeted it out, came on the podcast the next day and said, you know what? This sucks. This hurts. It's terrible. All those things you got to say, all those things that you're feeling. But I also said the future is very bright. I know we don't we don't think about it like that right now, but this 2017 team will be the least talented team in the Kirby Smart era moving forward. Really, because we were always going to have more talent. Because Kirby Smart was just getting started in the recruiting, and that's what Kirby Smart does. And I truly believe every year after that point, we're going to be more and more and more talented. 2018, we were a talented team, Charlie. We were good. We were very good. We were a playoff caliber team. In fact, I still think that we should have been in the playoffs over Oklahoma. I know that people don't agree with me, but whatever. We just got punched for playing the SEC. It is what it is. But we are just more talented, Charlie. It's that simple. In 2022, we have four more recruiting classes that we have added to our team. And every year, we're getting all these four and five-star prospects, the elite of the elite out there in the country. We are simply up and down the roster, a far more talented team. There are not as many holes in our 2022 roster as there were in the 2018 roster. And again, we were really good. We were really talented. You have DeAndre Swift. We had some really talented players on defense that were young, that were coming up. But we weren't as good as we're going to be this year. It's just that simple. Jake Fromm, I will say in 2018, was... I know people don't want to believe this. And I'm going to go back to my, I'm, I'm going to temporarily reassume my presidency of the Jake Fromm fan club here, okay. Charlie. I know it's been a while. It's been a minute. But I know people like, you know, there's a lot of revisionist history out there. And Jake Fromm put up an absolute dud of a game in Baton Rouge. You were there. Remember that, Yo, Charlie? Oh, that was awful. That, that was god awful. That was terrible. I mean, that was a dismal performance by Jake Fromm and the team at large. But Jake played extraordinarily poorly in that game. 
But outside of that game, and especially after that game, going into the Florida game, after the bye week, through the rest of the season, Jay Fromm was elite. Look at the numbers, guys. Jay Fromm, from a statistical standpoint, was an elite quarterback. I'm not saying he had elite physical tools. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying from a, from a production standpoint. Jay Fromm did everything he needed us to, that we needed him to do to win football games and win SEC championship game. Jay Fromm played a hell of a game in 2018 in the SEC championship game against Alabama. What hurt us there is our defense wasn't good enough. It was like the one year of the Kirby Smart era, I guess you can say 2016 as well. But since then, where our defense, we were kind of building to something, right, Charlie? You know, you lose Roquan, we lost all those guys off the 2017 defense, and we were fine defensively, but we were it was not a Georgia caliber defense. We were just not good enough there. We were we were actually significantly better offensively in 2018 than 20 in 2018 than we were defensively. And people don't want to acknowledge that, but that's just the facts. Go back and look at the numbers, guys. We were good, but we were certainly not great defensively. And the defense broke down in that game. I mean, I can go back and single single out multiple instances where we had flat out breakdowns defensively, like just absolute breakdowns defensively, especially when Jalen Hurts came into the game and that cost us that game. Offensively, we could have done more in the second half, sure. We did enough though, especially in the first half to win that game and put ourselves in the playoffs. But the bottom line is, I think that up and down the roster, we're talking about offensive line, talk about receivers, you talk about, I mean, DeAndre Swift was, you know, a borderline first-round draft pick at running back. So maybe push it running back or maybe give the, give us the edge in 2018. I think we're better almost across the board defensively, Charlie. I know we have a lot of young guys, but we didn't have a Jalen Carter type guy. We didn't have Nolan Smith playing, all right? So I think this year we are just simply more talented, and therefore I believe that we are set up for that reason alone to be more successful in 2018. I do think that we will accomplish more. Now, what does that mean? I don't know, Charlie. Accomplish more. Does that mean we have to win the SEC to, at the very least, win the SEC to accomplish more? I mean, based on the question, yeah. Or what if we went undefeated in the regular season? I think you still have to win the SEC. But if, we if you're going to accomplish we a, more. We win a feat. Isn't, isn't that an accomplishment? Yeah. I'm not saying it's not an accomplishment. Yeah. I'm saying based off the question. Yeah, I, I, I will say that we are set up to accomplish more in 2022 than we were in 2018. All right. Final answer. Long final answer. That wasn't, Charlie, that was not even that long. Mm. That was like a five-minute answer. That was like a five-minute answer. By my standards, that is not long. Okay, whatever you say. It's not, by my standards. I'm not going to argue with you. All right, you ready for a break? Sure. So a quick break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, our next question comes from Zach. He wants to know if you could bring any UGA player back from any year past to play this year, who would you bring back? I know I would bring back Justin Fields. Oh, of course you would. I know he was your favorite player of all Absolutely time. You are going to make some enemies, Charlie. There are people out there that Absolutely love not. Justin Fields. They're well, still Justin Fields stands. We don't all have to agree on everything. Charlie's hating today. Woo. Woo. So who would you bring Woo. back? Who would I For bring this back? year only. I think you have to think about where the holes are in this team. And we don't have a ton. Well, thank you. That's I'm talking given. to I'm talking to myself, Charlie. I'm talking this out. I'm not necessarily directing that at you. Okay? All right. Uh holes, holes, holes on this team. I have a concern at cornerback opposite Keeley. I think we have some really talented options, but none of them have any meaningful experience whatsoever. 
That's a major concern. You got to look at that position. Inside linebacker, Charlie, I think, again, same story. We have a lot of talent, but it's all young talent guys who have no meaningful experience whatsoever. I love what we have at receiver. Quarterback is... Stetson's good. Stetson's a good college quarterback. Is he the best quarterback that we've had that that you can put you can put a team on his back and go out there and win a game? Probably not. But like he's still a, a contributing factor to our success. I love Stetson. I think he's a very good college quarterback. Hmm. Cornerback, inside linebacker, quarterback. I think those are the spots I would look at. And that's not hating on inside Stetson. Inside linebacker, Roquan, right? Yeah, I mean, like if if that's the spot you want to target, well, I Roquan. Mean, I would, he's just an excellent person. I would bring him back. I, he, I mean, Roquan is, as far as I'm concerned, was the best player in the country in terms of like how good are you at your position. I think he was the best player at his position in 2018. But linebackers don't win Heisman trophies, and they no, don't, they do not. They don't get any publicity for that. Um, DeAndre Baker, cornerback. Mm, yeah, because I mean the. The narrative coming into this season, Charlie, for us is, well, Georgia's still take a step back defensively, so their offense has to take a step forward. Georgia's still going to be good on defense, but they're not going to be as good. So how do you make our defense as good or close to as good as it was last year? You bring back a first-round cornerback. You bring back DeAndre Baker. You pair him with Keely Ringo. I mean, that's the best cornerback duo in the country. How are you completing passes on on that cornerback duo? That's tough. That's yeah. tough. So, I, I mean, that's when I would look at. DeAndre Baker might be my answer. Roquan is a really good answer, too, Charlie. What about Aaron Murray? If you're going, if you're looking at quarterback, that's what I was going to say. If you need a quarterback, yeah. Aaron know. Murray. I mean, Aaron. God, like Charlie. Imagine Aaron Murray with some of these Kirby defenses. Okay, well, don't because it'll make you sad. Instead of a Todd Grantham defense, I mean, we would have won national championships with Correct. Aaron Murray. Like, it's such a like. Think about all those players in the market era that we that we almost made it to the national championship. God, if we had a playoff, we might have won the national championship that yep. year. Well, we didn't. What it could have should have. I mean, poor Marker. Think about all those players: AJ Green, Todd Gurley. I mean, Aaron Murray, all these players that we had, no Sean Moreno, Matthew Stafford, and we didn't win a national championship with those guys. That's well. depressing. But it's, it's all good now because we won one. It's all good now. So, yeah, I think that would be my end. Oh, well, what would be? I said all three of those guys. DeAndre Put him Baker. In a hat DeAndre Baker. Okay. DeAndre Baker. Got it. All right. Our next question comes from Brandon. He wants to know with NIL in the portal um, – well, he says with NIL in the portal that it looks like college football is transitioning to more of an NFL model than ever before. I think that's fair. So with that in mind, if college teams can make trades, what's one trade you would make with another team to improve this year's 2022 team to make another run at the national championship? Whoa. This is a very similar question, right? But Correct. we're trading for somebody who's currently in college football? Correct. Okay. Well, if you're making a trade, Charlie, I know you're not a pro, pro gal. I'm not a pro guy. So I don't know if you know how trades work. I mean, I know the basic definition I know, of I, trade. I, I, I know that you know you're swapping players, but when a team is making a trade, obviously you're trying to bring somebody in to fill the need. But the guy, you have to trade somebody away, so you're going to have to trade somebody that's maybe a luxury. Yes, right? when you trade, you, All right, you give I, up I, something Is that man's Am I mansplaining? Am I mansplaining? Absolutely. Am I, okay, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm, I'm a poor boy. Thank you for I'm that sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was trying to... Uh, never mind. I was just being an idiot. So what do... Again, we just kind of the last question. What do we need? We need probably a starting cornerback, like an established starting cornerback. We could use an established inside linebacker, although I love the young talent. Hell, if we had an elite quarterback, dude, we'd be rolling. What can we give up? What are we? What are we loaded? At? I mean, tight end, Charlie, right? Correct. I mean, we have the tight end group that of the of the millennium. Like, I don't know if there's ever been a room like this in the history of college football. If you're talking about the room in totality, I'm not giving up Brock Bowers because Brock Bowers is the best tight end in college football. And then you have a Reed Gilbert, you have Darnell Washington, you have Oscar Delp. Oscar Delp's unproven. You're probably not going to be able to command much of a return with him, right? Since he he's Got a high level of potential, but he has done nothing at the college level. You have a Reed Gilbert who didn't play at all last year, but did some really good things as a true freshman at LSU. You have Darnell Washington who has not really been much of a factor in the passing game. He hasn't really been activated there, but he's been a critical blocker for us at tight end and at least poses a threat in the passing game with his size. Who would you give up, Reed Gilbert or Darnell? Probably Darnell. I give a, and that's your boy. You love I feel like he's so big, he's prone to injury. He's well, been he, hurt so he, much. He has, 100%. And like, he's missed the spring. But I do because, love him. I know so you love him. That Darnell. would be 
difficult parting. It'd be tough. I mean, and he he does bring. I know it's not sexy, but it brings a lot of value. What he does in the run game from a blocking standpoint, absolutely, a hundred percent. And he's better at that than any of our tight ends. And he does pose a mismatch problem out there, especially in the in the in the red zone. We we never really used him much like that. I wish no. we would use him more that way. Maybe we will this year. Be interesting I, to see. I think you want to find a team that needs a playmaker at tight end, or at least another playmaker of some sort offensively that might be willing to part with. An elite cornerback. So how about this, Charlie? Look, I don't think that Alabama would take Darnell Washington for cornerback Eli Ricks straight up. Because Darnell, first off, the tight end position, there's not as much value at that position as, as there is at cornerback. And Darnell's just, the proof of production is not there for him as it is for Eli Ricks. And again, I, I really believe that we need an established cornerback. I, I know that we have a lot of talented guys whether it's Kamari Lasseter or Dalen Everett or Jaheim Singletary, whoever it might be, we have a ton of really talented options there in the back end. But again, they have no experience. It's just, it's unsettling for me to rely on that situation coming into the year when you could potentially have an established option there. So what I might do is like a two for one special. Let's take a guy like Darnell Washington and maybe Kamari Lasseter and let's trade them to Alabama for... Eli Ricks. I think that helps Alabama because they still have some some weapons out wide, but they don't have the dudes that they've had in years past in the passing game. I, I mean, Jermaine Burton's going to put up some numbers there. Harold put up numbers there. Cameron Latu's a good tight end. They have some guys, but they need more weapons to go with Bryce Young to try to get back on top of the, the landscape of college football. And we need a cornerback. We could part with Kamari last year along with Darnell because we have so many young guys who recruit. I mean, we've been recruiting as well as anybody in the country at DB over the past couple of years. So we have a ton of young options that can that we can continue to develop for years to come. But for 2022, if you insert Eli Ricks into the equation at cornerback alongside Keely Ringo, just like we said the last question, there's no better cornerback duo in the country. And that really gives our defense a shot in the arm to where maybe we don't need to rely as much on offense. Maybe we can play more of the same formula that we played last year that was so successful for us in route to a national title. So off the top of my head, that's a trade I would go with. That's a really interesting question. I'm going to think more about that and maybe I'll come up with some different ideas and we'll put them out there on social media. And let me know what you guys think too. I'd love to hear some of your ideas. That's a really, really fun question. I enjoy that one. All right. Our next question comes from Scott D. in Georgia. He wants to know if Arch Manning's commitment to Texas contributes to yet another mediocre wide receiver haul for Georgia. Scott D., I appreciate the question. Man, I get where you're coming from. We certainly have not recruited as well at receiver as we do really at every other position. There's a reason for that. We've gone over that so many times. Our office just doesn't feature receivers. And other teams, their offenses do, and we don't. We have, I mean, we've had one 1,000 yard receiver in the history of our program, Terrence Edwards, back in 2002, and that's something that is used against us in recruiting, guys. The negative recruiting that we have to fight through at the receiver position is overwhelming, and I get why teams do it. It's just like we, you know, we do it against other teams too. When it comes to linebackers, when it comes to running backs, we recruit as well as anybody, if not better than anybody in the country, at those positions because we are putting those guys in the league. I mean, look at the linebacker hall that we're going to have this year, guys. We've got C.J. Allen on board. We're about to get Raylan Wilson on board. There's a, we're going to get Trey Bowles on board. We are going to have the best inside linebacking recruiting class in the country by far this year. We've had the best DB recruiting class in the country the past two years. Defensive line, we've been recruiting lights out. You don't bet against Georgia when it comes to inside linebacker recruiting or running back recruiting or defensive line recruiting or DB recruiting these days. Receiver, it's a different story because we don't feature that position. There's other positions. We have verifiable evidence. We have proof of concept. We can take you. We can put you in the NFL. We can develop you. You can make a lot of money. We're running back you whole nine yards, right? We don't have that at receiver. What we're going to have to have is that breakthrough receiver. One of the things that killed us, Charlie, when it comes to receiver recruiting recently is George Pickens getting hurt, tearing his ACL in the spring of 2021. Correct. That killed us because George, I believe, was in line to be that next guy to have a 1,000-yard year as a receiver. I think he was going to break out for us. And if we had done that, when we still were able to put George high in the NFL draft, he could have been a first-round draft pick, and he could have been in the top of college football all year long to go along with our defense. And he could have gotten all that publicity for us, and then we can start to sell that to recruits, and that starts to change things. But, I mean, from a recruit standpoint, who's the last elite receiver Georgia had from, like, from a national standpoint? 
Probably AJ Green, Charlie. Yeah. That was over a decade ago. Right? It was over a decade ago. So we just don't have that evidence. The recruits don't view us that way, and other programs do. So that that makes it tough. But I will take, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna take issue. I I will say like, how do you define mediocre? I, I don't think that we recruit at a mediocre level at any position. Do we recruit as well at receiver as we do at other positions? No. But it's not mediocre. Like we still recruit really well. I mean, we've gotten some. Like we recruited Jermaine Burton, right? Everybody's excited about him in Alabama. Well, we recruited that guy. We landed him. Same class. We got Arian Smith. Same class. We got Marcus Rosemi, Jack. Same. And th- that was a really good recruiting class. Now, was it an elite recruiting class at receiver? No, but it was still really good. It wasn't mediocre. But I do get the premise of the question. I understand. And I do agree that we just don't recruit as well at that position. And I think you're right. I think if we had landed Arch Manning in this class. That would have given a shot in the arm to our receiver recruiting. Brian McClendon, we've brought him in to upgrade the receiver room in terms of recruiting. And that certainly would have given him more ammunition because people, receivers, want to come play with that guy. The hype he has around him, they want to come play with a guy like Arch Manning. We've seen that. Texas is getting some receivers right now because they want to come play with Arch Manning. But for us, that's going to continue to be a problem, number one, until we put guys in the league. We have somebody that steps up. Maybe A.D. Mitchell. If A.D. Mitchell can grow up and be that guy, be a thousand-yard guy, be a first-round draft pick eventually, then that can help open the floodgates. So it's going to take either that or it's getting another big-time quarterback that the receivers want to come in and play with. But until either of those things happen, we're, it's, going to be, it's going to be an uphill battle. It, it really is. It's going to be an uphill battle for us. But again, I'll go back to it. Sure, we don't recruit receivers as well as other teams in the country, but we recruit running backs better than just about anybody. We recruit inside linebackers better than about anybody. Tight ends, Charlie. Those guys catch passes too. There's no one in America that recruits tight ends anywhere close to as well as Todd Hartley does right now. Why? Because we are showing that we're going to use those guys. They're going to be productive. They're going to, we're going to feature them. We're going to put them in the NFL, all of those things. So yeah, you're probably right, Scott. We're not going to have the high-level wide receiver class that we maybe could have had this year if we land an Arch Manning, but I still don't think it's going to be mediocre. It just won't be elite. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, our next question comes from Josh. It's a Stetson Bennett question. We all know that there are plenty of Stetson Bennett haters out there. You do, Josh. I thought you said Cliff, good friend of the podcast. You're not going to say Josh, good friend of the podcast? I didn't know if it was This is our our man, Josh. Okay, what's up, Josh? Hope you're doing well. I got Um, your back, Josh. Don't worry. Charlie's hating over here. I am not. I didn't. Usually you put his last name. I just figured you know if I say Josh, it's Josh. It's Josh. There's, There's one Josh. You're okay. Got it. Just saying. He wants to, well, he says that Stetson Bennett has an incredible skill at being able to drop the ball in the bucket. Do you think that is a taught skill or does it come naturally? And what other Georgia great had the same skill set as Stetson? Yeah, Josh, this is a really cool question, man. Thank you, buddy. And I know you and I discussed this a little bit on social media, but I'll put it out there for the masses. I do think that that skill set, just kind of dropping the ball in the bucket, is an accuracy i think that's something that absolutely is a natural gift and it comes with like when you're learning at the very beginning of your career as a little kid when you're learning how to throw and you're throwing motion who's teaching you those things kind of just come naturally to a large degree i do believe that however i will say those things you can enhance those i think you can teach someone to throw with more touch i think you can help people become more accurate with in terms of footwork now if someone is a guy that just cannot hit the broad side of a barn, you can teach them to become slightly more accurate. I don't think you can teach them to become like an elite accuracy type guy. But I do think through footwork, those kind of things, a lot of it goes into play. It's, it's partly footwork, it's hand-eye coordination, it's natural feel, all of those things. But I do think it's more natural than anything. I think you can do some things from a technique standpoint, get a footwork standpoint, 
to help improve your accuracy and your ability to throw with more touch. But some guys, I, I'm a true believer that some people are just, when they pick up a football for the first time and they start to learn how to throw the football, they just naturally have that more graceful motion or able to kind of drop those balls into buckets like that. And I think Stetson certainly does have that ability. I agree with you there. What other Georgia great has had that same skill set? I feel like Aaron Murray. I know I'm going back to the Aaron Murray train here, but I feel like Aaron Murray had that ability to hit people in stride, to drop the ball in the bucket there. I mean, I'm a big Aaron Murray guy. I think Aaron Murray was legit. Matt Stafford never really showed that all that much in college. Now, he can do it in the NFL because he's a professional now. But in college, Stafford, that's one of the things that didn't hold him back. We were still really good. He was really good. He was good enough to be the number one overall pick. But he didn't throw with as much touch. He just kind of wanted to just rocket everything in there. But Aaron, I would say, could do that really well. Hudson Mason was actually pretty good at that too. Although, you know, he only had one year. But yeah, Aaron, I would say, be number one. Maybe Hudson, I thought I felt was pretty good at that at times. I mean, Hudson had a noodle arm, but he could he could drop the ball in there. He could drop the ball in there when he needed to. All right. Well, we have one final question for today. It's from Sam. He wants to know if the SEC added four more teams to make it a 20-team super conference, which four teams would you like to add? So just a little... Inside baseball here. Yes, we are recording. We're pre-recording this. This is going to air, what, about a week and a half from now, Charlie? So we're sitting here. This is Friday, July 1st. So the news of Ohio State, not Ohio State, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, that broke yesterday. So we're getting this question here today, but by the time you guys are listening to this, there might be more teams, might be more going on, who knows. But as of right now, let's answer this question based off what we know. So Charlie, I want to get your thoughts on this. So the SEC... I would Four go teams. Notre Dame. You would add Notre Dame. Okay. Didn't see you going there. It's a nice place to go. Uh, it, Notre Dame. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my trip there. You were the one complaining about how cold Indianapolis was. And you want to go to potentially to Notre Dame every couple years? Go to South Bend, Indiana? I mean, I just would prefer it in September. I mean, if you get... If you could Notre Dame, swing that, sure. maybe Clemson. Oh, I, I know mean, from a competitive standpoint, but the idea of going to Clemson every couple. If oh FSU could get their act together, maybe FSU. I would definitely throw FSU in there. And then Virginia. No North Carolina. Oh yeah, see, can't even think. Yeah, mm-hmm. North Carolina. Those I are so many options. Oh, there's not. Well, I mean, there's a lot of teams out there. Yeah. Who moves the needle? All right, so uh, let's answer answer this from like what's the best for the SEC standpoint and maybe what's best for me selfishly standpoint. If we could swing Notre Dame, Charlie, for the SEC, that's huge. I don't think that's likely, right? I think if they go in any conference, it's probably the Big Ten. Money talks. But the Big Ten is about to launch a new new TV deal as well. That's true. They're paying their teams the same as we're paying, if not more. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, if we could get Notre Dame for sure. For sure, but they have traditional rivalries up there with some NC of those teams. NC State would be another interesting one. NC State has a fan base that really cares. They've just never really been good, but they're going to be good this year, I think. I would say number one for me, Charlie, would be North Carolina. I think that brings the cachet from a national standpoint. They're not a blue blood in college football, of course, but they're a blue blood in college basketball. It's a well-respected university from an academic standpoint. It's close to us. It's in the Southeast, as I call North Carolina the Southeast. I think North Carolina would be a fantastic fit. I would go after them hard. I know that a lot of people would want to go after Clemson. And from a football standpoint, yes, Clemson makes a ton of sense. And that would be a team, again, from a purely what's best for the SEC standpoint, Clemson would be one I would go after. I agree with you, Notre Dame. If we could get Notre Dame, I think that's highly unlikely. But if we're making a wish list, let's throw Notre Dame in there. So North Carolina, Notre Dame, Clemson. A fourth team, Charlie? Hmm. Would you go Florida State? Would you go Virginia? Would you go NC State? Who do you go? Miami? Uh, uh, I don't know. Any of them. I think I go Florida State. Yeah. I, I mean. think I go Florida State there. So from a, what's good for the SEC standpoint, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson. I think if the SEC were to add those teams, I think that would be an incredible counterpunch and an answer to what the Big Ten did. 
and bring in USC and UCLA. I think that would increase revenue for the SEC. It would be in the long-term best interest of not just the SEC, but obviously all the programs in the SEC, including the University of Georgia, because that would be enhancing the revenue that we're getting, the payout that we're getting from the SEC every single year from a TV standpoint, which will allow us to go out and build more facilities and hire better coaches and retain coaches and provide enhancements for recruits, for players, all those things that it takes to stay at the top of the mountain. Selfish standpoint, I would go to North Carolina. I would love to make trips. To, when I say by selfish standpoint, I mean, what matchups would I be excited to watch? And also, what kind of college towns are we talking about? Because I'm going to be making road trips to these places, and I want to go to places that are fun and exciting to go to. That would be my very narrow, selfish viewpoint. I would say North Carolina for sure in my selfish world because I think it does both things. It hits both criteria. I think it would create exciting matchups. And look, I know North Carolina hasn't been great in football historically, but they're certainly on their way up. They're getting better. Mac Brown has got the recruiting really kind of rolling right now. I think they're on the come up when it comes to college football. And plus, it's, but honestly, it's a game that it's kind of baffling how this has not been a rivalry to this point. We played a couple times. Obviously, they're in the ACC, we're in the SEC, so that's why, but. It's crazy to me. These are two teams that should be natural rivals because Georgia was the first state charter university. North Carolina likes to say that they were, but they weren't. Did they start classes before Georgia? Technically, yes, but technically we were chartered before they were. And I also have a lot of family that's from North Carolina. My parents are originally from North Carolina. So just again, selfishly, from a selfish standpoint, I, for me, that would be a great match. But I would be really excited to watch those games and I also think Chapel Hill is a fantastic town. Franklin Street, a lot of fun, great place, beautiful campus. So that checks all the boxes for me. North Carolina, no questions asked. Clemson is an interesting one for me because obviously from a competitive standpoint on the field of play, on the gridiron, I don't think there's a team that we could add outside of Notre Dame that would give you more cachet on the national stage in terms of hey, this is a big-time college program, and they've won two of the last six national titles, I want to say, right? So from that standpoint, a competitive standpoint, and also the fact that it is an old-school rival. Like Clemson and Georgia, that is a rivalry that goes back years and years and years. I know we haven't played consistently for a while now, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, we were playing Clemson on, on a pretty annual basis, and that was a rivalry. It would be nice to bring that back. So from those two points of view, you add Clemson, right? But here's my selfish point of view, and this is why I'm torn on Clemson. That is an absolute trash pit of a town. I would say worse than Auburn. Absolutely. I think worse than Auburn. Worse than Auburn. And those of you who've listened to this podcast for a while, you know how I feel about Auburn. So that's saying something. So the prospect of having to make that trip every other year or every couple years, that's not super exciting because that town is just nothing. I don't even know if I would want to go to those games, to be honest with you. I mean, of course I would go, but I don't know if I'd really want to go. I certainly wouldn't be excited to make that trip. But I am well aware of how narrow of of a way to look at that that is and how selfish that is. So I think I would still probably go with Clemson just because of how epic those matchups would be, how big those games would be. I would swallow my personal distaste for that town and and suck it up and go to those games and and watch some great football games and, and love the excitement and energy around it and the, and the lead up, the build up to it. But I definitely would not enjoy going to Clemson because anyone who's been there, you know what I'm talking about. They got nothing going on. So North Carolina, Clemson, I would take those two. I know a lot of people will say like, hey, you're talking about road trips you want to go on. Wouldn't you want to go to Miami? No, absolutely not. No way in hell. No, 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 no. I know it's a big town and Miami itself, the city has a lot going on for sure. But Miami, the city is not Miami, the university. And that stadium's way out there in the middle of nowhere. They got nothing going on. Like just the game day environment would not be what I'm looking for. In Miami, like they just don't excite me like some of the other matchups would. Like, I'm if they were in the SEC, fine, cool, whatever. But that wouldn't excite me as much. One school I would say that I don't know if a lot of fans would be too excited about it, but I would take Virginia, and I would take Virginia over Virginia Tech. I know a lot of people are saying, "Hey, Virginia Tech," because over the past what twenty or so years, they've been more of a factor in the college football landscape than Virginia has. Although recently, Virginia has actually been better. But I would take Virginia over Virginia Tech because, number one, from like a national standpoint, it's a more prestigious university. It's a more prestigious academic university. It is the state's flagship. 
and they have a lot going for them. They have more financial resources than Virginia Tech does. They also have a killer basketball program, which I know is not driving the ship, but it's a factor in this as well. And here's the, the selfish part. I like Charlottesville more than Blacksburg by a pretty wide margin. So selfishly, yeah, I would take Virginia. So I would say North Carolina, Clemson, Virginia. We need one more here. And this is going to sound outlandish because it's almost certainly not going to happen. But hey, you got California schools now in the Big Ten. So maybe it's not that outlandish anymore. I mean, we're going to have USC playing Rutgers eventually at some point, literally across the country. So maybe this isn't all that outlandish. I'd go get Oregon. Why not? Why not go get Oregon? I feel like that fan base kind of has an SEC feel to it, anyway, kind of an SEC vibe. They love Oregon the way that a lot of SEC schools love the SEC. I feel like Oregon's been an SEC type fan base inside the Pac-12, kind of trapped inside the Pac-12, inside a conference that doesn't really care about football, but they do. I get there are significant logistical issues to work through there from a travel standpoint, all of that. I get that scheduling standpoint. I understand that. But there's those same issues with USC and UCLA and the Big Ten's overlooking that. They're going to find a way. You know why they're going to find a way? Because there's so much money involved. The matchups are too good to pass up. Oregon, I don't think, gives you quite the cachet of like a USC or UCLA, but it's not that far off, at least in the modern context of, of the college athletics landscape. I would be extremely excited to watch those matchups. I think there'd be a lot of hype for those matchups, like there is for this one that we're going to be playing here in a couple of months in Atlanta. And on top of that, again, selfishly, I would love to go to a game or multiple games at Alton Stadium. I mean, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Oregon Ducks in Alton Stadium in a conference matchup every couple years. Sign me up yesterday for that. I'm still pissed that Greg McGarity canceled that matchup in Oregon a couple years back. I honestly don't know if I'll ever forgive Greg McGarity for that. I was so excited to make that trip to Eugene, to Autzen Stadium, and then McGarity decided he wanted to cancel that trip. I still have not forgotten about that. So I would love to add Oregon. I know that's very selfish. I know some of you might not care because oh, it's Pac-12. It's all the way out there. It's not exciting. It's not traditional. But I mean, think about it. If you're trying to limit yourself to the southeastern footprint, outside of Clemson and North Carolina, I, I think you'd argue Clemson, North Carolina, what program is going to give you the kind of punch that adding Oregon would give you on a national scale? on a From a TV revenue standpoint, right? And is ESPN going to give you more money for adding Oregon, or are they going to give you more money for adding Virginia Tech? I mean, think about it. Oregon in a, in a landslide. So I think adding Oregon would actually be really good for the SEC and selfishly, I would love it. So I think that checks all the boxes too. So yeah, so selfishly, I would go North Carolina, Clemson, Virginia, Oregon, and call it a day. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA podcast. We will have the very first edition of the 2022 Scouting the Enemy series ready for you guys later this week. That's our next episode. So make sure to check that out, guys. Speaking of Oregon, I will be breaking down the Oregon Ducks for you and talking a little bit about that matchup come September 3rd in Atlanta in the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic. So I'm excited about that. I hope you guys are excited about that too. That'll be up for you guys later this week. But for now, we're out of here. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thank you for listening. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>